My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God and today we are continuing our journey through Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verse 16 to verse 31 today and I hope that you're enjoying this and if you've not had a chance to subscribe to my YouTube channel please go ahead and do that. Uh, You can check out all the playlists, you can share them Uh, but I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, podcast. If you're listening on a podcast share it with people, do whatever you can. I always links uh, in every description everywhere to all the places you can access all the content that I produce. And so I encourage you, please share it as much as possible. Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 has commissioned the 12 disciples and he's just given them a job to do and he's told them where they need to go. They need to go to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. And so they actually have a responsibility. And in verse 16, he's about to now start to prepare them for the persecution that's going to come. You see, when you are a disciple, persecution is coming. It's just part of the deal. And so he says in verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. (laughs) How comforting must that have been for the disciples? They're like, oh, great. Therefore, therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. (laughs) Interestingly. For they will deliver you up to councils, scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Okay, so now he mentions the Gentiles. Jesus freely and honestly warns his disciples, you are going to face persecution. Uh, they, were, they had no police coverage. They got no military protection. And he says, you are sheep and I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. Spurgeon said, here you see sheep sent forth among wolves. What a novel sight, such as nature can never show, but grace is full of marvels. You would never send a bunch of sheep out into the middle of wolves. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Spurgeon also said, after all, the mission of sheep to wolves is a hopeful one, since we see in the natural world that the sheep, though so feeble, by far outnumber the wolves who are so fierce. So he says to them something, some words that are very interesting. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Despite their vulnerable position that Jesus was sending them out into, Jesus' followers were not to defend themselves against um, the persecution with worldly forms of power. They were to remain harmless as doves, but as wise as serpents. So what does that mean? Wisdom is what was going to keep them from attracting unnecessary trouble or show them how to avoid it without compromise. See, serpents, snakes, are attacked by everybody. They're hated by everyone, and they must use creativity and wisdom to survive. Remaining harmless was going to keep the disciples from giving in to the temptation of retaliation. Jesus says, don't do that. Spurgeon, the Christian missionary will need to be wary to avoid receiving harm, but he must be of a guileless mind that he do no harm himself. 
So he says, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up. Jesus warned them that there are people who would persecute them in the civic arena, in councils, in the religious arena, in synagogues, and that, that his disciples could expect opposition from both city hall and from the halls of religion. And he says, you'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake. That's a remarkable statement and was going to recognize the great influence that the gospel message was going to have and that its preachers would have. Governors and kings would notice them. They'd arrest them and they'd bring them to trial. He, he, Jesus is telling, that's why we should never be surprised when uh, there is persecution to, to ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples, this is what's going to happen. But he says, for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles, because they were persecuted and they were going to be persecuted for Jesus' sake, they could be a testimony both to religious and civic persecutors. They could be a testimony to them. R.T. France. The specific mention of the Gentiles suggests that the wider mission of the post-resurrection period is already in view. In other words, Jesus started to reveal to them that he knew what was going to happen. He knew that his people were going to reject him. He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew what was going to happen after his crucifixion. He knew he was going to raise, you know, rise from the dead. He was going to conquer sin and death. He knew that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. He knew that even that the Holy Spirit was going to want to lead people into all truth, but they would reject it. He knew that that was going to happen. So he is now starting to tell the, the uh, disciples, hey, listen, need you to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but it's not going to be long before you go to the Gentiles as well, because I know the house of Israel is going to reject me again. Okay, verse 19. Verse 19. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Jesus' disciples were always going to be able to trust God in the moment that they needed to speak, that God would speak through them, even if they didn't know what they were going to say as they were opening their mouths. William Barclay. It is the promise of God that when a man or woman is on trial for their faith, the words will come to them. Uh, this is going to give them confidence. What? In, in the spirit of the Father, that he would speak to and through them as necessary in the moment, even if they were not prepared. David Guzik, this isn't a justification of poor preparation in teaching and preaching God's word. It is a promise of strength and guidance for the persecuted that have an opportunity to testify of Jesus. Verse 21. Now a brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father is child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. <laughs> Sad. This is what's going to happen. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in the city, flee to another, for assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Brother will deliver up brother to death. Jesus knew that in some cases the gospel was going to divide family members, that some of the most bitter persecution was actually going to take place within families themselves. And Jesus plainly said that persecutions would sometimes result in death, cause them to be put to death. That, uh, most Christians have endured persecution in, in economic, in social arenas, 
throughout the centuries, but literally millions have actually given their lives in faithfulness to Jesus. He says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. And at times this has been true when entire cultures have hated the followers of Jesus. And it seems strange that people who live by kingdom expectations in Matthew 5 to 7, Sermon on the Mount, you know, love everybody, be good to everybody, treat other people the way you want them to treat you. Those people, how can you be hated if you do that? Because when you read that, there's nothing in there that should generate hate. But it's the same paradox that inspired the world to actually condemn and crucify the only sinless man that's ever lived. Same reason doesn't make sense and it must be painfully admitted that there are times when Christians because of great unfaithfulness and false profession of faith have actually been hated for very good reasons. They've done stupid and bad things but no one who's filled with the presence of Jesus and lives like he did can be hated for a good reason. He says he who endures to the end will be saved because a commitment to endure to the end is required for those who will weather the storms of persecution. Will you face uh, little real persecution in, in the world we live in? Have very little understanding of just how difficult it is to endure under real persecution. He says, when they persecute in this city, flee to another. In this, Jesus is teaching his disciples that it was wrong for them to court martyrdom. Don't seek it. They were not to run towards persecution and feel like they were noble and somehow good if they did that uh, or even remain if they had the chance for an honorable escape he says you have not a chance to escape get out who cares whether it's honorable or not just get out flee to another place if you can flee do it and then he says something very interesting he says you will not have gone through the cities of israel before the son of man comes so whenever the bible talks about the son of man coming that reference is only ever to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So this statement that Jesus is making to his disciples could be one of the hardest to understand statements of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Could Jesus really mean that he would not, that, sorry, that he would return to this earth before the disciples would actually make it through all the city of Israel? And the answer is yes. Uh, part of that reason is that some of the cities would self-destruct. But Jesus was saying this to his disciples with the foreknowledge of the rejection that was about to happen, that there was a church era coming. And the only reason there needed to be a church era is because the lost sheep of the house of Israel rejected Jesus. Otherwise, the witnessing that we see in the book of Revelation would have started immediately as the house of Israel had accepted Jesus as the Messiah. That didn't happen. That was 2,000 years ago. Still hasn't happened. Jesus knew that the house of Israel was going to reject him during his time on earth, that they would also reject him after his resurrection, that they would also reject his Holy Spirit coming to guide them into all truth, to reveal the truth of who Jesus was. But he couldn't tell the disciples he couldn't tell the disciples. And, and the reason he couldn't tell the disciples, I want to read it to you, uh, was because he knew that there were some things that if he told the disciples, they wouldn't know what to do with it. And in John chapter 16, verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. 
See, Jesus had more things to tell his disciples, but they couldn't bear them. And so here he is saying, you're not even going to get through all the cities of Israel until I come back again. And I can't even tell you how I know that. I can't even tell you why I know that. I can't even tell you all the things I do know because you wouldn't be able to bear them. That's what's in that verse. And then we move on to verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Simply put, the disciples should not expect to be treated any better than Jesus was treated. If, they, if people were calling Jesus himself Satan and calling him Beelzebub, then how much more and how much worse should the disciples of Jesus expect? And it's actually interesting that this is the second reference in the Gospel of Matthew that we have to Jesus being associated with Satan by his enemies. And Spurgeon said this, Thank God they may call us what they like, but they cannot make us evil. God was slandered in paradise. Christ was slandered on Calvary. So how can we hope to escape? And Jesus then goes on and says, Listen, it's enough. For a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master that's the goal of a disciple and a servant of jesus we want to be like our teacher we want to be like our master romans 8 29 we are conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren verse 26 therefore do not fear them for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, capital H, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Do not fear them. Jesus' disciples could have confidence that the truth would always prevail. So they should go out, preach the truth with boldness, despite the anger, despite the persecution. And if persecution or the threat of persecution makes us draw back, from speaking and preaching the truth of God's word, then in some measure, Satan has already won a victory. His threat of persecution may not have succeeded in harming us, but in holding back the work of God, he has succeeded. God says through Jesus here in these words of Jesus, there's nothing covered that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be known. Jesus promised his persecuted followers that the truth of their honorable sacrifice would be known even if the persecutors were going to do their best to hide it among the pages of history. How many times have we seen history be rewritten to wipe out memories? It's been happening. Jesus knew that that would happen. God would reveal all and justify his servants, reveal the crime of those who thought that they had hidden it. You know, now let me tell you something that's important. The judgment of eternity gives us great confidence in God's ultimate justice. 
Those people who seem to cheat justice on this earth will never be able to cheat justice in eternity. So if you're if you get angst and you get anxious about people getting away with things, I can't believe they're getting away with it. How are they getting away with this? They're not going to get away with it in eternity. Let me just tell you that. Jesus said it won't happen. Whatever I tell you in the dark, go speak it in the light, he said. Whatever you hear in the ear, preach it on the housetops. The message of Jesus is something that should be gloriously public. It's not for a secret few and it's not to be hidden. There isn't one message for the inner circle of Jesus and another for those who are on the outside. Those on the outside may not understand the message, but they can hear it and it's never to be hidden from them. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God's the only person that we should ever fear. Many, there's many definitions of the word fear in the Bible. Reverence, respect, determination of attitude. And then one of them is just being, is the fear that we feel. Like I'm scared of what he can do. Ah. <sighs> We should, we should fear God, not the men who persecute the followers of Jesus Christ. And the worst that they can do is destroy our body. But being a coward before God will have eternal consequences. And it's not for you and it's not for me. Spurgeon said there is no cure for the fear of, fear of man like the fear of God. It's a great cure. Do not fear, therefore, because you are more value than many sparrows. Imagine the disciples hearing these words. Jesus He's telling them, don't be, you don't need to be afraid because God really does care for you, even down to the most minute detail. If God cares for the sparrows and numbers the very hairs of your head, then he will also pay careful attention to your needs. And, and the persecuted can often easily feel that God has forgotten them, but he hasn't. David Guzik, God knows us better than our friends know us better than our husband or wife knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. How? We don't know how many hairs we have on our head, but he does. The God who knows us so well will take care of us. John A. Trapp. The emphasis in this short section is clearly do not fear. This is the third time in six verses that they and we are bid to banish this cowardly base passion this causeless, fruitless, harmful, sinful fear of men. He that fears God need fear none else. So what's our observation today? God knows that our first response to many situations in life is an automatic fear. He knows that. He just says, don't give in to it. He understands that that's going to be our first reaction. But fear has zero place in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. None, because Jesus told us to have none. So if Jesus told us to have none and we have it, it's because we're being disobedient. That's it. So our obedience must be to not fear. Our obedience must be to do what Jesus has asked us to do. So what has he asked you to do? What has he asked me to do? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Heavenly Father, thank you that you understand us. You know the number of hairs on our head, even though we don't. So you do know us better than we know ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that you understand that we can often jump to an automatic response of fear. But God, we don't have to choose fear. I pray, Lord, for anybody today who's 
struggle with choosing fear over choosing to live in the promises of God. And I pray, Lord, right now that they would have a sustenance in their soul that it would allow them to place their total confidence in you and the promises of your word. The same way Peter did when he took that step out of the boat and he put both his feet on the water. He didn't just have one foot on the water, he put both his feet. He had a total dependence on you. And God, I pray that that is how we would be. We would have a total dependence on you and your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.